1: Hi, I'm Dan and this is Desert Island Dicks and today it features comedian, actor, uh, creator of Angelos Epithemio, Dan Skinner. Uh, It was a pleasure to have him on. I'm a big fan of Angelos Epithemio and also lots of other stuff that he's done. He's in a play at the minute called The Woolworth Farce. Um, So if you're in London, you can go and check that out. Um, I think it ends quite soon, so you better be quick. Uh, But go and have a look. We talk a bit about that in the podcast as well. So I think that's all I need to tell you about right now except to say that uh thank you for downloading this and listening and um if you could leave us a rating and a review that would be lovely we'd also love you to get in touch with uh who and what you think is a dick so we can include them in our spin-off episode uh compact dicks which is where you get to say who and what you think is a dick we haven't put one out uh last couple of weeks because we've been putting out extra episodes instead so uh but we will get back to it very soon. So get in touch with us, dickspod.com slash contact, or you can give us a shout on Twitter or Instagram at dickspod. Um, so that's that. But right now, here is Desert Island Dicks with Dan Skinner. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus, and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest, and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian, actor, the man behind Angelus Epithemu, and currently performing a new play, The Walworth Farce at the Southwark Playhouse Elephant, it's Dan Skinner. How are you doing? Hello.
0: I am very good, thank you. I will just correct you there. Mm -hmm. The Woolworth Fast is not a new play. It was written in about 2006. Uh. It's a new space they're opening down at um, the Southwark Playhouse. So they've already got the Southwark Playhouse in Southwark itself. And this one is at the Elephant and Castle. It's called uh, Southwark Playhouse Elephant. So that's the new bit about it but uh, this is obviously a new production of that play. Right. So there you right. go just uh, just to uh, update you. But <laughs> other than that brilliant intro. <laughs>
1: thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us today because we've been trying to we've been going back and forth for a little while trying to get you on but obviously I know, the trouble the-
0: is when you're doing a play and I'm and I'm not used to it is that like you rehearse this play and you rehearse, like, it's it's really intense. So so for a month, all you're doing is just going to the play and coming home and going to the rehearsal day and coming home. Um, and I've got two, two young kids. So it's, you know, all my spare time is taken up with child stuff and then work is work. So that's why it's been a bit of a problem. So thanks for your patience.
1: No, no, it's good to have you on, and I'm similarly uh, occupied with two small children most of the time. Oh, yeah. So that's why I'm sort of like uh, very out of the loop on on so many things these days. I was saying to someone else I was recording with recently. I just feel like the more time goes on, the less I know what's happening in the world. i <laughs> mean, just so. No, of...
0: That's the thing. They they, they tend to. Uh, if you're not careful, they you can just get isolated. You know, you know, you can just sort of. Culturally, you can just go, I don't know what's going on yeah. in the world, you yeah. know, because you just got your, your head in the children all the time. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. anyway. <laughs>
1: okay. Wouldn't have
0: it any other way.
1: <laughs> well, look, today we're going to sort of get a few things off our chests, so maybe that will make you feel better about things. And, uh, I mean, are you someone who finds it easy to have a little rant or a moan about stuff you don't like?
0: uh i'm not i'm not used to doing that i must say so maybe this will be a good thing i'm used to sort of just quiet suppression (laughs) you know just keeping it all in and then coming out in a rage and then going back in again so this will be interesting to see what comes out. Yeah. And how it comes out. <laughs> Maybe something I'll take to.
1: Yeah. Well hopefully I mean I don't want to sort of break or change your personality too drastically. So hopefully no, it'll just well, be a nice little kind of a nice release valve and then uh, you know yeah. we we'll can carry on as normal. And
0: close it up again. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Dan who's going to be the first dick joining you on the island?
0: <laughs> um well Dick is not the right word, right? So it's, this is the thing. I don't think this bloke is a dick, but I just can't imagine being on a desert Island with him because it would just do my head in. And, and that is bare grills.
1: Um,
0: because if I'm sat on a desert Island, I just want to sit down. I want to sit down. And if a coconut happens to drop down next to me and it's full of, you know, milk and, and, and it's ready to go, I'll just, I'll just eat that. But, I think if he was there, he'd be like, no, no, we got to get up and we've got to make fire and we got to go and find water. And, you know, we've got to be motivated. And I just think fair. If I'm here and I'm stuck, it's a plane crash. I'm just going to take my chances by sitting on the beach and doing nothing. And if he's in my ear, like all day, like that just going ah, we've got to go and do this now i think i'd end up probably killing him <laughs> i mean although it'd be tri- tricky cuz i know he was like special forces so he's probably better at that sort of thing than me but um so i just probably just have to wait at night and and do it then when he when he gets a couple of hours sleep <laughs> yeah i'm sure he's lovely i know he's quite religious and he's um he's head of the scouts so he's got things going for him you know but i think to be stuck on a desert island with him would be Oh, just be really hard work, Mm. really hard work. As someone said, Bear Grylls before.
1: Yeah, he's been, he's actually been quite a popular choice <laughs> has over the years. <laughs> of course yeah. He has. yeah, yeah. So and it's weird. Before starting this podcast, I never, I had never had any idea that he was so disliked by people. But I think he gets people people's backup in a way that so like Ray Mears or Bruce Parry doesn't, and those people are quite sort of fondly looked upon. Yeah. There's something about Bear that I may mean, I don't know if it's because he's called Bear or he's just a little bit annoying or he's preachy. He's preachy. He's a bit preachy. I saw him on a video recently, and like I think it was like GQ or some men's magazines. They were doing one of those interviews where it's like bear grills, ten things I can't live without. you know, and they ask actors and musicians and usually it's like these nice shoes or like some expensive hand cream or like this luggage or whatever, like crap that it might be. And with bear grills, like one of his was maggots. Oh. and it's like, look, we've all seen you eating that stuff to survive. but, Let's not pretend that's, like, one of the things.
0: I bet he puts it on his wounds and things like that, you know. Yeah. There'll be those uses he's got for them that we don't know anything about and can't be bothered to Google because we wouldn't ever need them.
1: No, no.
0: We've got the chemist.
1: <laughs> but I just think with him it's a bit like, oh, just let it go. You're being interviewed. Like, just, like, drop the pretense a little. Like, obviously you'd rather just have a nice steak or something than the maggots. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, you could just say a good protein source.
0: I think Ray Mears was accused of that quite a few times, wasn't he? Like, you know, taking people on wild hunts and all the rest of it and sticking them in tents and then him up the road in the hotel. But, you know, Ray Ray Mears, here's one for you. Ray Mears helped to track down um, uh, Rao Moat.
1: That's right. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because he's probably been on this as well. (laughs) <laughs> I think Raoul Moat hasn't actually been picked. But, no, not uh, Raoul Moat, but Ray Mears. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah, anyone wants
0: to be stuck on an island with Raul Moat you know, for obviously reason, he's not alive. But Ray Mears must have made an appearance.
1: I'm trying to think now. I think he often gets pushed aside in fa- favour of Bear, who's like Bear, the slightly yeah. more antagonist. I think, think like-
0: Bear, is, Bear is like, you know, I think it's his sort of very positive, like, go, let's do this, man, let's make this happen, all that sort of stuff. And I think some people uh, you know they find they find it a bit like i'll give it a rest bear you know Mm. but obviously secretly if you were on a desert island and bear grills was with you you'd be like fucking great man bear Mm. grills but (laughs) you know you go off and do the work and i'd be i'd be right he said to me right you make the tent i'll be like yeah don't you worry about that mate and then when he comes back, I won't have made it, and I'll just say, "Bear, you know how to do it. It's just easier if you do it." And you know, he would he would do it. But I'd probably get a mouthful, or, or a, I'd I get a, you know, I get a, a telling off and stuff. And I think it's that stuff that people don't want to put up with. It's the tellings off. Yeah. It's the, it's the idea of you are failing all the time. I think around Bear, you'd feel like you were failing all the time.
1: Yeah. You know when you're young and you ask your parents for help with your homework and you basically just want them to give you the answers, but they're like, no, 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 you have to learn how to do it. I'll sit with you and help you work it out. And you're like, just tell me the answers so I can watch telly. I feel like it would be like that with Bear. You know, you go, can you can you just build the shelter? You
0: can do that now because of Google.
1: Mm. You know,
0: like if you want the answers to anything, you can literally just Google it and get anything you need. You don't need to work things out. Maybe it's different in the wild.
1: But I sort of imagine him sort of teaching you lots of lessons. Like you go, Bear, like I got completely drenched last night. The roof had holes in it. Like You must have seen – you saw me make that. You must have known that wasn't going to work. And you're like, yeah, but now you won't make the same mistake again twice. Oh, come on, Bear.
0: Bear, I wouldn't have made it the first time if you'd have just told me to plug the whole roof – with the holes with moss, you know, if I'd have known that then, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a problem, I think, uh, having bears knocking around – bear knocking around because – he would be, he'd have his eye on you the whole time, just helicoptering you and sort of looking at you. And you would feel like you were being judged and failing. And nobody wants that when, you know, potentially your life is threatened and you you might be playing out the last days of your life. You don't want someone standing over you going, well, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. You just want to be able to just go, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Think about roast dinners and stuff. <laughs>
1: fair enough okay well it's a strong opening uh person to have on the island with you who's going to be next to join you
0: well again not a dick uh, and i'm a i'm a huge fan i'm a huge huge fan of boxing i like boxing i'm really into boxing this this might be quite niche this one um but there's a there's a guy that works for the bbc and his name is steve bunce and he's a boxing commentator and boxing um promoter and he's not a promoter but he's just he's a boxing journalist actually but he has got the most high-pitched when he gets he gets into rants and he starts like um it's very hard to do an impression of Steve Bunce but he gets very excited about stuff and he's really into hyping things up and he'll go like this and, he, and he'll really talk about it and he'll go on a diatribe like that from uh, like Anthony Joshua he's very good in the ring and they look very very good really good like that and and I and I couldn't I mean like it's great to listen to in bite sized chunks on a podcast like Steve Bunce getting worked up about stuff but to sit next to him and you're just again you're just sort of trying to work out how you play out your last days and he's giving you very impassioned talks about how Joe Kawasaki got on in 2006 in in the, in the Cardiff arena you know an extended diatribe i think would be very very difficult to to sit with for a, for a period of time i can't imagine someone like that who gets so hyped up doesn't have periods of time where he's synced quite low mm. you know he just it doesn't seem like a very balanced chap and i think When you're on the island, you want to be with someone that's quite balanced. And I don't think Buncey's, I don't think he's balanced. Again, not a dick, not a dick, but um, just it'd be too much. It'd just be too much.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's also with that the problem of if there's someone that, shares a passion with you but they're so annoying you don't really want to get into it with them it would be real shame because you think oh i'd love to have a chat about boxing with someone right now but i don't really want to open that can of worms with him No,
0: i think uh, there's there's a chat about boxing and then there's giving someone else the floor and of course he knows everything about boxing and i know a little bit about boxing so it's like my opinion would be trumped every time by his insight and it wouldn't be a fair sort of in the pub discussion, it would be me going, I thought, um, I thought, um, I thought those fights between, um, Wilder and Fury were pretty good. And he would tell me why they were good or why they were much better than good and analyze every bit of it. And, and that's, again, it's fine. You know, if you're down the pub with someone, but if you're living with someone on an Island, I think it would become too much,
1: too intense. Definitely. I can sort of imagine Bear Grill sidling over and like, you know, when like a, a teacher is trying to be cool, I was like, hey, kids, what, what are you talking about? Oh, boxing? Yeah, I used to, I used to love that Frank Bruno and just be a little bit out of touch and annoying I think, about yeah, it.
0: Well out of date. Or he would say, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a Marine champion in 2005, you know, and, uh, and and he would probably be trying to outdo Steve Bunce with his knowledge. Yeah. Um, or maybe he'd be very reasonable. I don't know. That's the thing about Bear. I think he'd be quite reasonable. And that would that would sort of begin to wind you up as well. You know? Mm. There w- there wouldn't be enough tension with Bear I think with Bunsey, you could probably just say, Oh, give it a rest now, mate. That's that's enough. And he'd be all right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. That's yeah, no, fine, don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. <laughs> But um with Bear, it'd be like he he'd be he, he he you know, he I don't know anyway. There you go. Number two. <laughs>
1: good one and i think yeah the interplay between them is already quite interesting so who's going to be the the final dick with joining you or not dick
0: oh mate i've got i've got i've got so many and i just i didn't want to go obvious but um but i had gone obvious because the current climate we're in any any one of these elon musk alan sugar trump farage Gillian mckeith
1: Mm.
0: marcus tandy and most serial killers (laughs) any one of those would be uh trouble but i think the top of the list and it's a very strong list would probably be alan sugar i don't think i'd want to be stuck in a des- desert island with him mm. it'd be him talking about what he did as a chart as a young person well how we got out of this as a young person I've got a load of clothes together and went down the market and I sold them and that's how I'm I got myself together. I, you say well, you can't do this here Alan on Desert Island. There's nothing to sell yeah, you know, there's nothing to. There's no one to exploit in that way. Um, I think I think I would just I think I would just clash with him the whole time. Uh, well, I think we just have different values, and I think it would be very very difficult to spend any more than about twenty minutes with Alan Sugar because once you get past small talk of like him going, yeah, well, I've got a very big property portfolio, and I go, well, I'm doing a play at the Southwark Playhouse. <laughs> And I don't suppose he'd care much about that. I think he'd probably say something like, That seems that's that sounds like my idea of hell. That's what he'd probably say about my play. <laughs> so yeah, I think we'd probably I think we'd probably clash, you know.
1: Yeah. I think it's that thing of him kind of constantly telling you how he's a self-made man, but also kind of I just don't think he ever has to prove himself that much these days. It's like he probably make mo- he probably makes most of his money from the apprentice. And then occasionally someone says, oh, look, I've sorted out this deal for this new product. Do you want to have a piece of this? And he goes, yeah, all right.
0: I think it's property where he's made his money now. Mm. I'd like to sort of have him in a room and say, what about your, you know, your Amstrad computers and your plastic fax machines and all that shite you made, plastic tat you made for pensioners? He, I reckon he'd probably go, yeah, you're right. It was all rubbish. It was all rubbish. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a billionaire, so, you know. It'd be very difficult to sort of find any chink in Alan Sugar's armour, I think.
1: Yeah. I think there's such a sort of self-important thing about him, though, isn't there? Like, you know, Richard Herring always goes on about how um, Alan Sugar always tweets the latest Spurs score as if, (laughs) like, the way that you'd choose to find out is like, I wonder what's happening in the Spurs match. I'll just check Alan Sugar's Twitter. but (laughs) But to him, he's like thinks that's what you know that he's doing you a service and i just think that is such a glimpse into his kind of personality isn't it
0: yeah yeah it's very very self-important indeed if you haven't heard it from me you haven't heard it <laughs> that sort of thing isn't it yeah yeah so you can imagine why i'd stick him on the list of dicks not wanting to spend you know not someone not wanting to spend time on an island with him
1: mm. with your collection of people i think there's just a lot of like mansplaining and kind of very sort of people being the authority on things and just talking down to you all the time between them you yeah, know that's
0: that's the perception sh- certainly of these sort of characters um and it's you know it's not it's not uh maybe I just don't know enough about stuff mm. so that's maybe that's why that winds me up in other people yeah you know, they'll sit you down and they they know they know a lot uh, and it also it's like people like that if they don't know, they'll just fill in the blanks with sort of made up stuff.
1: Mm.
0: And that's Mm. when you don't know whether you're getting the truth or not. That's what would wind me up as well
1: but i don't think it's i don't know if it's just that you don't know enough about stuff it's probably that you're a vaguely self-aware individual you know? well, i
0: suppose there's a bit of that isn't it you go oh, i'm boring these people to tears maybe i should stop talking <laughs> you know and some people don't have that do they
1: yeah it's like with gordon Ramsay in the kitchen or like you know when you see like fashion shows when people are like hey this business is tough you better harden up if you're going to survive this and it's like you're in charge of a lot of it so why don't you yeah, why example, don't you
0: help me out
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I stop know. just going, business is tough. And I just think, like, I used to know a guy who was, you know, very sort of apprentice candidatey sort of person, you know, and he'd just use the phrase business or, like, it's business as just, like, a way of having no morals at all. Like, he's like, yeah, but in business you've got to be tough. And it's like, I think you don't have to be a dick. <laughs> Let's not use business as this, like, exemption from, like, normal morality. Yeah,
0: jail, jail card. But it's business. It's business. That's what that's what uh, mafia people say. <laughs> you know, it's business. It's not personal. After they've just shot someone in the head, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, that is quite personal because you, <laughs> you know, you've taken someone's life and that they, they they can't answer back now. But that is basically the watered down perception of that in business is to go. Well, I'm going to rip you off, but it's not personal. It's business. Yeah. yeah but I'm destitute now. But it's business. It's business.
1: You might as well just say, I'm going to do all this, but it's because I want this money more than I care about the outcome for you. Exactly. Business is the shorthand for that, basically. Greed. Greed. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, but I'm just greedy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, at least he's honest. All right, fine.
0: (laughs) All needs are greater than mine, are they? I suppose, yeah. (laughs) Survival of the fittest, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know. I bet he'd be shit on a desert island anyway, sugar, because he'd be like, he's used to having people do everything for him. Yeah. He'd just be sitting on his arse all day while people gathering coconuts. Well, I wouldn't do that for him.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't do it. I think it's a good end to your your, uh, people choices though, Dan. Now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad?
0: Well mushrooms are the worst food basically because they're just it's mold essentially it's mold i mean i know they're not mold but it to me it feels it tastes i can't get that idea out of my head when i'm eating it and i just can't stand the taste the texture anything about mushrooms so i mean i mean i you know as you grow up you go i don't like this and i don't like that and it's true at the time but you as you get older you sort of you know, you, you go, oh no, I do like that. That's okay. That's okay. But mushrooms, I still won't go near. I won't, <laughs> I don't like them. If they're in the casserole, I pick them out like a 10 year old, shove them to one side. If I were left with a bunch of mushrooms on a, on an Island, I would, i will be really depressed apart from anything else. I'd be very down in the dumps about that <laughs> and drink. I don't think of late like you, know, you can go to these juice bars now and you can ask for a juice, like if you're going to go to one of these organic juice shops or anything, and they give you a green juice, Yeah, and it's, it's like spinach and broccoli, and they put powder in it and stuff like that, and they are absolutely disgusting. And I'm not sure that they have any – I don't think they do any good for you. I don't know why they would. I mean, you can eat vegetables and, like, you know, you don't have to drink them. Eating them is – infinitely more tasty than than drinking like spinach and they you know, this sour muck and if you leave these drinks hanging around on the on the uh on the table you see them all start to separate it looks like the bottom of a pond and that to me is how it tastes and i so if if i was if i crashed with an organic plane delivery company uh, and i was left with mushrooms and those drinks I'd, yeah i'd be in trouble be in real trouble <laughs>
1: it's, it's a weird thing isn't it with the, with the green juice thing like i don't know why people can't also put in nice fruit as well it's like can't you have all the green stuff and also have like a banana and some cherry or like you know strawberries or whatever in it to make it sort of a bit nicer it's sort of i don't know it seems to be like wheatgrass and things
0: yeah but this spirulina powder and it and I think there is a perverse idea that the worse it tastes, for you, the better it is for you. But I don't think there's any evidence for that whatsoever. I know people don't like drinking sugar and stuff, but a little bit's all right just to take the taste of that horrible, horrible stuff away. <laughs> and again, if you leave them on the table for a couple of days and then just take the lid off and stick your nose in, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Oh
1: my god! I imagine you'll have uh, bear grills giving you a lot of benefits as well while it's there, and if you're, you're sort of pushing it away, and he's like, "Come on, guys, look, this is so so important. Yeah. You know, let's all do it together." Okay, we'll turn it into a fun game. It'd be
0: me and bouncing going, "No way, we're not drinking that. No way, no way." You know, and sugar would go for it because he, he's trying. You can tell that he's trying to prolong his life indefinitely. You know, I bet he's got one of those oxygen tanks or tents and a cryogenic freezing thing and all that. I bet he's got all of that.
1: I can imagine him having a terrible diet, though, you know, just sort of like, this is what I ate when we were younger. It was good enough for me then. But like spending lots of money on the oxygen tank and stuff, but then just, but not actually ever eating any vegetables no, <laughs> or drinking any water. A, or lot
0: of, a lot of meat, I'd have thought. Yeah, a lot mm. of meat. And
1: just chops all the time. Chops. whole chops. Maybe not, but lamb chops, definitely. And so mushrooms. I mean, I like, I'm a, I'm, I am partial to mushrooms. I am a fan of them, but I, like they're one of those things that they look very alien, you know, and there's, apart from the sort of regular kind of the traditional shaped mushroom, like there's, um, so because my, my wife's half Chinese and like there's a lot of weird funguses in that cooking, like and sometimes you buy a packet of them, there might be like dried ones that you put in stews and stuff and it even just is even called a fungus on it and it's like that's quite off-putting when you see that on the packet and it was, you know, I've had to build up to them over over the years, but um, you now I'm quite fond of it. But it's just like, yeah, can we just pretend it's not called fungus just on the packet? I don't know.
0: That would do it for me. I couldn't put anything in my food that just said fungus on the package. I just, and I, do I, I know it's my problem. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just does something to my brain. And and food is all about the brain and all the senses, isn't it? Not just the
1: taste. Yeah. Okay, Dan. Fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favorite film of all time, and the other is your least favorite song. What are they, and why?
0: My least favorite film is the only film I've ever walked out on in the cinema, and I got about I got about an hour into it when I thought I am absolutely wasting my time here, um, and that was. Uh, Miami Vice by Michael Mann starring Colin Farrell and Jamie Fox. Uh, it's quite niche, you know um but it's a terrible film. it's a dreadful film and it's one of those films where you go, how has this passed all the relevant checks and got through the studio and got through all the people that have said, yeah yeah we need to this is fine we can put this out it made no sense whatsoever. I didn't know what was going on. I'm I'm you know, fairly intelligent person I'm good at letting movies wait to unravel and you know like like you're reading a book and you go okay I don't know what's going on yet but I'm happy to wait and let it, it reveal itself but there was no sense that this was going to reveal itself because things kept happening where you go well I don't know what that is now and I don't and I've no idea what these people are actually talking about I've got no idea whatsoever so I was like no no I'm voting with my feet with this one And I am going to leave the cinema, and I've never done that before. So if I, yeah, so there you go. That's what I would, uh, I'd probably unfortunately be stuck with on the island would be Miami Vice, Michael Mann. But maybe I could watch it again and go, oh no, maybe it is all right, you know?
1: Yeah, but I think if it had been all right, because it's such an iconic name, if it had gone down well, they would have been knocking out the sequels by now, wouldn't they? I mean, because that seems like. Let's bring this back and hopefully we'll just have a real run on our hands where we can just keep churning them out.
0: Because I like the TV show. Good shit, good TV show, Miami Vice. But the film was like, no, mate, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's very moody. And I like Heat, Michael Mann's other film. I like Heat, but no,
1: rubbish. It's weird, isn't it? Because Miami Vice wasn't... I'm trying to remember now, but I mean, it was sort of a bit tongue in cheek, I suppose. It was was a it, bit, yes, saying? and that's
0: the thing. It was tongue in cheek, and it was very eighties, and they were all wearing Armani suits, and it was set in flo- Miami, obviously Florida, very hot and glamorous, and lots of sexy ladies and big fast cars, and this was just a moody noirish, which I do like. I love that genre, but when it's when it's a moody noirish thing that doesn't make any sense, then it's. Uh, Rubbish.
1: <laughs> yeah, when you're so uninvested in the characters, it's like I don't care if the bad guys catch you. I don't care if you catch them. I mean, I don't care that there's vice in Miami. It's yeah, Couldn't you know,
0: careless. It's, couldn't careless. Let them carry on vicing over there. <laughs> I don't care.
1: Yeah, I think like bad action films, because action films can be sort of It's sort of stuff where you can disengage your brain a little bit and just enjoy it. So when it's shit and it's a real, really hard work. Well, I try and make
0: it cerebral, you know, because it was an action film with very little action in. Mm. There's a lot of standing around chatting and stuff.
1: (laughs) Okay, and uh, what would your song choice be? Uh,
0: My song would be Nothing's Going to Change by Love for You by Glenn Medeiros. Oh,
1: yeah, good choice.
0: Do you remember that song? Yeah. I can't remember what year it was when that came out but I think it was, I think I was going through a bit of a hard time and it was one of those songs that was on being played on the radio all the time. And it just, you know, you just go, Oh Christ, not this bloody song again. And it goes on or it's just droney. And I think I just, I just relate it to the hard time I was going through at that time. And this, Awful song. I mean, it's a, it's it's neither here nor there. Song is it? It's perfectly fine, reasonable. I mean, I don't like that sort of music, but it's but it just had. It was just, it's burned in my head. It's just like this terrible, terrible song. It's like the worst lift music in the world. You know,
1: mm. it does very much sound like it's theme tune music rather than a song in its own right. Like it should have been on like a, a bad sitcom. <laughs>
0: yeah it's just it's just like oh so wishy-washy and pointless and it, it's like one of those songs that's just made to make money that's all that's all it's for it's not it and it's done by numbers and poor old Glenn Medeiros I'm sure he wrote the song and he's very talented and all the rest of it um but that's how it seems to me and, and I just like ugh, no and when something gets in your head that you don't like, you, it's very hard to it's very hard to turn it around for you. You know, mm. it's very hard for one day to go. Actually, no, I do like that song. You know, no, it's, once it's once it's gone, it's gone.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's much that you can do to sort of bring that one back, but there's not sort of layers that you can discover and stuff. I think it is a good one to... You know, certain songs just feel better to go mad to on a desert island. Like if, if someone kind of came by and picked you up and you were all sitting there listening to that in various yes. states of like dehydration and stuff, it sort of fits. It's quite weird, <laughs> you know, a nice juxtaposition. So I think from that point of view, it's it uh, fits the bill very nicely because, yeah, it would just be really annoying and it's not like a fun cheesy 80s song it's like not a power ballad that you could sort of get drunk and belt out or anything like that that's
0: what i mean it's like neither here nor there it's very wishy-washy and it doesn't doesn't really go anywhere it's It's literally designed to be on in the background and it's like oh like kenny g or someone like that you know no good no good
1: (laughs) okay Now, Dan, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why?
0: I think it might be the cat, you know. Mm. They don't want anything to do with you. I like animals that um, need you, you know, want to form some sort of relationship with you. But cats, from what I can tell, uh, are all about them. And it's very, very take, take, take. They're quite narcissistic, the cats. Mm. And they'll just sort of sit on your mat. And when you come to stroke, I've never owned a cat, but next door neighbors, their cat comes and sits on our mat sometimes. And it's it, you can stroke it and he'll just, he'll go like that. And then when he doesn't want to know he's gone, you give him a bit of food and he'll take it. And then there's no thanks. There's no nothing. There's no recognition at all that you are, even existing, you know, and bang, they're off. They're very selfish people. They're very selfish, selfish animals. And um, I think it'd be boring to uh, to to be on a desert island with a cat.
1: And also, if the island's overrun with them, they just, it's weird, like, they're one animal that really well, they hates... screech
0: and have claws and all that, you know?
1: Yeah, it's like, I think, apart from humans, are the animal that seems to hate its own species the most, it's like... Yeah, they don't get on, do they? Yeah, I see it, because I've got a cat, and I see, you know, all the different battles going on in the back gardens of, like, the neighbours yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. and then...
0: They're very territorial...
1: Yeah, but they just hate each other. It's weird. They're such sort of death machines. Like, you know, I'll see my cat and he'll be so peacefully fast asleep and content and warm and cuddle, you know, like curled up somewhere nice. And then he will hear like a moth or something, you know, on the light shade and just straight away it's like... Death! I must kill that thing. Like, I, and he won't rest until something's happened. And it's yeah, like
0: you see—they're very weak, and they—they—they—they're they, they, um, threatened by everything. That's the problem. They can't take anything in their stride whatsoever. They have got to go for it, go for this, and go for that. And you know, they don't want anyone anywhere near them. So, yeah, in, an insular bunch. The cats are very, very selfish, and and I get nothing from them.
1: I feel like with my cat, I often just forget he's there, and I like walk into a room and he's asleep on the bed. I'm like, oh yeah, we have a cat. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> like, do you
0: do you get anything from like picking up the cat and giving it a stroke?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've always I've always had cats, and so I I like them, and I like I quite like their moodiness because I sort of yeah, that's about the level of interaction I want. You know, like I I feel like a dog is very needy, and
0: they are needy, but well, I like that.
1: Yeah, I think I suppose, I get that cats are dicks, so that's fine. Um, I think, I suppose I think they're a bit more human because it's like they have obvious moods and they don't really, they're not always in the mood for you. They always get moody.
0: Like, they're always like, oh, their mood is always like, oh, fucking hell, you know. I'm just going to go sit over here for a bit. Right? Leave me alone. That's how they, That's that seems to be their mood, you know.
1: mm I mean, I think, yeah, they would make hateful people, you know, like their personalities are very off and, uh, you know, I think fundamentally they are dicks. I like them, but I mean, I've got friends that I think are dicks. So, you know, we all know people who are dicks.
0: I bet Sugar's got loads of cats.
1: I can't imagine what animal he'd have. I don't know. Like, I bet he's
0: got a cat. I bet he's got a big old. I bet he's got like a Siamese cat with loads of diamonds around its neck. <laughs> I bet you that's what he's got. Like a little coat it wears with all like AS on the side of it.
1: <laughs> a little brocade waistcoat with yeah, a little chain, doesn't it?
0: All that, probably some trousers on it. <laughs>
1: I do like the idea of Alan Sugar with just a really ornate cat, like a sort of like a pound shot Blofeld. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, that's what he's on. His spinning chair, his Amstrad spinning chair.
1: Fair enough. Well look, Dan, I think you've done a really good job uh putting together like the worst people and things you could be stuck with on your island. So uh bravo and I'm sorry we have to send you there, but um, you know, them's them's the rules, I'm One afraid. Of those things. But um yeah, but we we talked briefly about the play at the beginning. So that's that's on now.
0: Yeah, till March the seventeenth or March the eighteenth, I think it is. And it's a roller coaster. Been well reviewed, so come down and see it.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on Desert Island Dix today. I'm glad we finally made it happen. And uh, yeah, it was great hearing your choices today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: There you go, Dan Skinner there, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that. It was nice to chat to him. Uh, We've been trying to get it sorted for ages, actually, but he's been very busy with this play. So do go and check it out. uh, I was just looking it up, and it's getting good reviews. So, uh, yeah, have a look if you're in London. Desert Island Dicks was a sync Clap production. It was dreamt up and originally hosted and produced by James Deacon, and it's hosted and produced by me, Dan Benedictus, now. We get a lot of support from John Deacon, so thank you, John, for all your help. And a special thanks to Chris Attaway for editing this um, because it certainly made my week a lot easier. Um, So, Chris, you're a legend. Thank you very much indeed. I think that's it. Um, Yeah, don't forget to rate and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. I am so hungover. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, so I'm just going to go. Okay, bye-bye.